Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. I'm Cody. I'm Eddie. And I'm Mark. And today we're going to be doing our third installment of the Narnian <laughs> Nugs, Narni- Nar- Nugs of Narn. The Narnian Nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> the horse and his boy. All right, book number three. This one, when you read it when you're a kid, you're like, this is the most boring book. But then when you reread it as an adult, you're like, this is my favorite one. This is like the best (laughs) one. A lot of good stuff in here. We're just going to jump right into it. There's no movie for this, so don't even ask. (laughs) Uh, I would like to kick us off. I like how C.S. Lewis's voice comes through a lot in these books. Like he, you know, because we talked in the past about how these books kind of communicate truth. And I think these books, while they're written in fiction, his voice still comes through just like it does when he writes nonfiction or like some of his philosophical books. Uh, and one of the ways it comes through a lot is, is his humor. And one of the humorous lines in here that I really enjoyed, and it comes early in the book, which is why I'm talking first, um, is the early in the book, If you again, if you don't know what it's about, there's a, a young fishing boy, a little, little fisherman's son who lives in a, in a shack by the ocean uh and one of like the the lords of the land comes by and shasta is the guy is the kid's name he does not want to live there and the, the horse does not want to be the horse of of the lord so they run away together they end up bumping into one of the princesses or like kind of a son the daughter of like a duchess almost or yeah uh, something like that yeah she's gonna be married off yeah so she also ran away and she's telling her her story but she's telling it in like very proper like almost almost like you would imagine like a greek poet would would tell a story uh and she's she's telling the story really really well and like everybody else is being kind of sucked into this story and it says fern callerman storytelling whether the stories are true or made up is a thing you're taught just as english boys and girls are taught essay writing the difference is that people want to read stories, whereas I never heard of anyone who wanted to read the essays. <laughs> Roast. <laughs> yeah. And he taught English at... And uh, wrote essays. <laughs> so I, I just I think that is kind of like funny and lighthearted, but it, it sets the scene a little bit for us is just that everybody's a runaway in this story to start. And nobody and nobody knows Aslan, nobody knows Narnia, because this this is not happening in Narnia. It's happening in the land south of it's Narnia. Kalerman? Yeah. Kalerman. Kalerman. Okay. Well, later on, a lot of the story has passed, but pretty much the Kalerman are... Kalerman. The Kalerman. <laughs> I'll say how I want. Um, There's no movie, so... We yeah, don't <laughs> we don't know the actual pronunciation, but they're going to attack... Archenland. Yeah, I always read it as Archenland, which I, there's no way that's right. But which whatever. is the country in between Narnia and Kalerman. <laughs> <laughs> and so Shasta and the whole the the two horses and this other girl, they are running up to Archenland to warn the king that a surprise attack is coming. And so they've trekked across this massive desert. I don't know how many how many days journey, and finally they're chased by a lion, a specific lion. Um, Shall remain nameless. Yes, <laughs> name redacted. And so they finally they like just get away, and they're sheltering in this hermit's home. And Shasta, like, sees the hermit, and he asks, "Are you 
the king, are you King Loon of Archenland? And the old man says, no, but you have to go right away, like start running right now. And preceding this, Shasta had an act of bravery where the lion was like catching up to his friend whose name is Erevis um, and had like swiped at her back like the teeth were right at the horse. And Shasta rolls off his own horse to pretty much fend off the lion and the lion runs away. And so this act of bravery you would think is rewarded immediately when he gets to the hermit that he can rest or that he can or or that he finds the king like this is the end of the journey. But no, he has to keep pushing on. Um, and it says, Shasta's heart fainted at these words, for he felt he had no strength left, and he writhed inside of what seemed the cruelty and unfairness of the demand. He had not yet learned that if you do not that if you do one good deed, your reward usually is to be set to do another and harder and better one. And so, this is a, sort of a turning point in the book for Shasta, who has never thought very highly of himself, but. This goes towards, you know, our own lives when, like, we do something good. God's like, good job. Here's a greater responsibility. You can handle this now. Like, the training wheels start to come off a little bit. So Shasta, being never never really think thought of in the group as a brave person, having this brave act, okay, you, you did this brave thing. Here's a greater act of bravery to now go on and run and find the real king. It goes yeah. back to being, like, the whole dangerous lion thing, right, where it's, it's all good and it helps you become who you really are and, you know, become the best version of yourself and all that stuff. But it is hard and it, it, it's taxing. And that's the, that's the point. So at this point, right, the whole, basically most of the story has gone by and it's all set up for the payoff of this moment. Now, uh, enter Aslan, right? Although we don't really know. At, I mean, we know, right. Cause like we know, but, uh, <laughs> Shasta they don't know. know. Shasta doesn't know who Aslan is. And, you know, this is where he enters the scene. There's kind of a... He's on his way to Archenland to tell King Loon that the surprise attack is coming. The others have stayed behind uh, in the garden. They've stayed behind at the hermit's house to watch and to and to rest from the journey where when Shasta is sent on ahead. And so he's traveling alone to Archenland. And he is kind of caught up in this mist and out of the mist a voice speaks and you know he's kind of dialoguing with this this voice uh and kind of i I've, to be honest with you i forget exactly what leads up to this but eventually i think he's compl- to, i think he's, well, yeah you if happens? you could yeah if you could um i have the book in my hand i could just do it myself but i mean i i took a note on this is that so Shasta doesn't know where he's going. He's in this mist on a horse that he can't control because he doesn't know how to ride a horse because um, the horses he'd been riding are intelligent horses, so he's never had to do anything. And so he's riding along, and he sort of like notices this, this presence um, right beside him, and he tries to ignore it, and then finally like he realizes that there's something there, like a great beast or a great lion. Uh, and he says, who are you? He said, scarcely above a whisper. And the lion says, one who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing. Its voice was not very, not loud, but very large and deep. And this to set up what Cody's about to say, but this is how, you know, sometimes we encounter God. God sits in the silence, waits in the silence and waits for us to approach him. He's always 
right there next to us, even if we can't physically hear him, uh, uh, you know, traveling with us, his paws or Aslan's paws don't make any noise. But that encounter of, I want you to seek me. Like, I love you so much, I'm willing to wait for you to to love me. So then what happens after? Well, real quick, I don't want to pass over that because I think it's really deep. It reminds me of the St. Therese quote. I think she was talking about adoration or just the tabernacle in general. Uh, and this is a paraphrase, obviously, but she says, remember that when you approach the tabernacle, he's been waiting for you there for like 2,000 years. He He waits on you. And it's not us making the first move, like us making the, what seems to be us making the first move is really a response to the love that uh, we perceive there. Or, I mean, there's some, there's some call, right? And I think that kind of, that kind of plays into the next thing that happens. So Shasta's kind of like, like, please go away. You know, I'm, I'm not really in the mood to deal with a beast right now, like some other danger. I've got this thing I'm doing. I'm the unluckiest person in the world. Like my life has been just miserable up to this point. You know, I, I lived kind of as a slave of this guy, of this fisherman. I ran away, but things haven't been going good. I've been on my own, and, you know, it's just it's been hard. He says, oh, I'm the unluckiest person in the world. Uh, and it says, I do not call you unfortunate, says the lar- said the large voice. Well, don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? Uh, because, you know, throughout this time, they've been chased by lion after lion after lion. And the voice says, you know, there was only one lion. And Shasta's like, well, what do you mean? And he says, I was the lion. I was the lion that forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength for fear of fear for the last mile so that you could reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight to receive you. Uh, so again, it seems like Shasta is unlucky. It seems like all these things have happened that have just been awful in his life, but, but Aslan does not call him unfortunate. Like he orchestrated all these things and he's taken care of him this whole time, all leading up to this moment where they can finally meet. And when they do finally meet, he says, you know, who are you? Myself said the voice very deep and low so that the earth shook, and again, myself, loud and clear. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly that you could hardly hear it, and yet it seemed to come from all around you, as if the leaves rustled with it. It's kind of a callback to the, um, to the I am who am. Like I, he's not giving a very direct response, and it also kind of ties in the Trinity. Uh, the voice that shakes would be God the God the Father, God the Creator. The voice that is light and clear, uh, I imagine he means to be Jesus, but... I mean, we can see Jesus. Yeah. So I feel like that would be like the the physical presence. And and the quiet would be the Holy Spirit, that it, it is constantly surrounding us, that like it, it moves the very fibers of creation almost. And that's just his response is that he is what he is. And... You know, he he comes to know him better, but yeah. And I, I think the other the other callback would be to Elijah on the mountain when when he finally hears the voice of God. It it kind of comes in the midst of all of this uh, as a whisper. That was the other thing I thought of. I, yeah. Um, and then one little detail afterwards that I had liked uh, is that after Shasta's encounter with Aslan, 
is gone, is, is done. You know, reminded that Shasta's had no rest or no real like stop since he's been traveling across the desert and running and now he's on this horse. And so Aslan leaves this, it says, saw a deep, large print of the lion's front right paw. It took one's breath away to think of the weight that could make a footprint like that. But there was something more remarkable than the size about it. As he looked at it, water had already filled the bottom of it. Soon it was full to the brim and then overflowing and a little stream was running downhill past him over the grass and then Shasta stooped and drank a very long drink and then dipped his face in and refreshes himself and essentially receives the rest from the presence of the Lord. And I like just the image of, you know, where, where the Lord has been, abundance overflows and we are refreshed by that and we are rested in that. And that was just a cool detail in there. Yeah. And then, so then Aslan goes and he meets uh, the rest of the people, the two horses, the two talking horses and the girl, uh, Erevis. And so Bree, he's like the, this pride, the, the horse that he has like a pride complex throughout the entire time. Um, and he just can't seem to comprehend that, like, because everyone talks of Aslan, like, as this lion and things like that, and he can't comprehend who he is. And there's a couple of dialogues where, when they meet them, I'll leave the one of Bree. You can take both parts of that, Mark, but I'll take, I'll do the one with uh, Huynh, the other horse, first. And uh, so it says, Aslan appears before them, and Huynh, though shaking all over, gave a strange little neigh and trotted across to the lion. Please, she said, you're so beautiful. You may eat me if you'd like. I'd sooner be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. And it's just, oh, I'm like, I'm like tearing up right now, man. Like I can't, we're recording like all of these like back to back and I just can't handle too much of it because it's just, and I was just like, I started tearing up with like when, when Cody was talking about just the, like the way the Lord like works in our life. And like I said, I really, really recommend people read the, read these books to see like, because as somebody who has wandered away from the faith so many times, not like, you know, ever all the way, but like just in my own personal shortcomings, like I see these moments and I seen the way that God has revealed these moments to my heart. And so it harkens back like so much of my own prayer life flushes back into my mind in like just that presence of the Lord. So I, I and like I said, I really highly encourage people to read this, but you're so beautiful. You may eat me if you like. I'd sooner be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. And I like that, that response to God of just, God, I want to be consumed by you. Like I'd rather, I'd rather die at your hands than go on living fed by like anything else. And it's just such a unique response that this horse has. Uh, it almost sounds ridiculous, but just like that desire to like, God, like do whatever you want. Like, I just, I want to be a part of you now, you know? He responds to her. He says, Dearest daughter, said Aslan, planting a lion's kiss on her twitching velvet nose. I knew you would not be long in coming to me. Joy shall be yours. Just the idea that like for those, and this is another theme of C.S. Lewis's writings, for those who like want to know the Lord, they will know him, right? Like he makes himself known to those who are open to him, you know, who are open to the grace. So profound. But then Bree has a much different experience with Aslan because he's got this pride complex. Yeah. He doesn't respond with the humility that uh, Huynh has. So just the, the like the background and sort of like the character arc of Bree is Bree was this great war horse for the Kalerman. And so no, that, not the Kalerman, was it, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, because he was, he was enslaved to the Kalerman. 
Oh yeah, okay. So yeah, he was this right. great warhorse on a bunch of missions, uh, and so now he thinks highly of himself, and he's a talking horse. So he's like, these other horses are stupid, and if they're not a warhorse, I'm like ten times better than them. So he holds himself like this throughout the whole book, and when calling back earlier, so when Shasta fends air quotes off the lion. Bree keeps running and runs to safety, and he's really ashamed at this. He's like, I am not this brave war horse that I thought I was this whole time. And the hermit who is uh, where they took shelter pretty much tells him, do not mourn the, like mourn this. This is good. You are realizing who you are. Like You are smarter than other people, and you are braver than other people, but as long as you know you're nobody very special, you'll be a very decent sort of horse on the whole, and taking one thing with another. So he's pretty much saying like, it's okay to be ordinary, but there's, you have to know who you are. You're not, don't try to be someone who you're not essentially. And so that's sort of the context for this next part where after Aslan has spoken to, what's the other horse's name? Huin. Huin. He now turns to Bree, who is still sort of relishing in who he is and this shame from his pride. And then... Then Aslan uh, turns to him and says, Now, Bree, he said, you poor, proud, frightened horse, draw near. Nearer still, my son. Do not dare not to dare. Touch me, smell me. Here are my paws. Here is my tail. These are my whiskers. I am a true beast. I mean, that's pretty good. Pretty good line. And I think it's just shattering all these, all these uh, thoughts and conceptions that Bree has about himself and about Aslan and about who Aslan must be because he's never met Aslan before. Because um, he denies that. He doesn't think that Aslan, anything as powerful as whatever, because everyone's had heard rumors of Aslan. They don't know who he was at this point. But he's like, anybody who's as powerful as Aslan couldn't actually be a beast, right? Which is born out of his pride because he's he's like, I'm I'm a beast and like I know what I can do. So anything that's more powerful than me must not be a beast yeah. then. And so he denies, but it's, it's, like, it's like Christ. It's the Christ figure, right? That Jesus really is true God and true man and how how much that means to us as humans to have a savior. And this is what I always tell my students. One day you are going to meet the man Jesus. Like he still is a man. God will never not be man again, which is the craziest thing. It's like not like the incarnation didn't just happen 2000 years ago. And Jesus walked and like, you know, the second person in the Trinity walked around for earth for 33 years. And it was like, all right, peace out, humanity. Glad that's over. There will never be a time in eternity again where Jesus is not man. And that is like so profound that he is human now. Uh, and we can, we can, we can take him in. We can see him. We can touch him uh, is very beautiful. And then just to finish off that part, Bree responds and says, Aslan, I'm afraid I must be rather a fool. And Aslan says, happy the horse who knows that while he is still young. And so Bree is admitting essentially his sin of pride to Aslan saying like, I feel like this shame, like I'm a fool. I had this pride. And Aslan's like, well, at least you recognize it. There's still life to be lived. And now you have time to turn from your ways. So, I mean, that's like, if, if you're feeling this pressure or this guilt from your sin, it's sort of the same encounter where Christ wants us to come to him and admit to him, I'm not very good at this whole faith thing. And he's like, at least you know it now. And there's time for you to improve. Yeah, I think, I think leading up or following up on that, you see... Bree's fall from pride, he recognizes his pride and uh, sort of gets rid of it and turns from his ways. And now we have the exact opposite of that in Eddie. Yeah. 
in any. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, though. But so, as we said, the Arkan land, which is the borderland and ally to Narnia, is being invaded by Calermans in a sneak attack by this guy named Rabidash. Not that important that you know that, but you need to know that Rabidash is invading, and he gets caught, right? So the, 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 the heroes of the story warn the king in time, and their attack fails pretty epically. And uh, the guy who's leading it, Rabidash, basically is made like a fool of himself because his whole thing was he was going to totally own them, and then he doesn't, and he gets captured. And so the people, though, the people of Arkenland, like, they treat him very well. They, like, put him up in a nice room. They, uh, they like, don't mis- mistreat him at all, even though, like, he is basically like the lowest of the low. He's coming in to like sneak attack and take over their kingdom. And while they were vulnerable because there were like other people are like off doing something else. I forget the whole context. There was like a hunting party or something. Yeah. Or something like that. So like the main warriors were going to be gone. So it was like their chance. Uh, so it's like the lowest thing you can do really in war. And they catch him and like, they try to feed him good meals, but he like throws it all away. And he's like, like, I won't have any of this. And the whole time, the king of Arkenland is like, wants, is like, we want to release you. We don't, like, here are terms for your surrender. And he's like, no, I won't hurt, hear any terms from you guys. You guys are beasts. You will all be destroyed by the Calermans. And they're like, and the son of the king, of King Loon, tries to snap back at him and be like, okay, well, then you're an idiot. And tries, and then every single time he does, King Loon's like, no, we don't stoop to that level. And he's like, your majesty, we please, we urge you, re, like, consider hearing our terms. And he's like, I won't have it. I won't have any of it. Uh, and like at one point, the son Corin says, "Father, can I box him, please?" <laughs> <laughs> and he says, "Peace, your majesties, my lord." Said King Loon, "Have we no more gravity among us than to be so chafed by you know whatever he says?" And he says, "Sit down, Corin, or you shall leave the table. I ask your highness again to hear our conditions." I hear no conditions from barbarians and sorcerers," said Rabidash. "Not one of you dare touch a hair on my head. Every insult you have heaped on me shall be paid in oceans of Narnian and Arkenlandish blood." Terrible shall be the vengeance of the Tisrock, who is the leader of the Kalerman. Uh, beware, 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 etc., etc., etc. And he just keeps going on and on and on. And then Corin again says, does it ever get caught on a hook halfway? Uh, he basically insults him again. And he says, and the king, Lun, says, shame, Corin. Never taunt a man, save when he is stronger than you. Then as you, then, then as you please, right? So he's saying, don't make fun of somebody unless, he, unless you're not in the position of power. And then Lucy basically says, Oh, you fool, Rabidash. Um, And then it says, At the next moment, Kor wondered why everyone at the table had risen and was standing perfectly still. Of course, he did the same himself, and then he saw the reason. Aslan was among them, and no one had seen him him coming. Rabidash started as the immense shape... Started? Yeah, started. Like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. So, Rabidash started as the immense shape of the lion paced softly in between him and the accusers. And Aslan says, Rabidash, take heed, your doom is very near, but you may still avoid it. Forget your pride, for what have you to be proud of? And forget your anger, for who has done you wrong? And accept the mercy of these good kings. Then Rabidash rolled his eyes and spread out his mouth into a horrible, long, mirthless grin, like a shark, and wagged his ears up and down. He had always found this very effective in Calamon. The bravest had trembled when he had made these faces, and ordinary people had fallen to the floor, and sensitive people were often fainted. But Rabidash hadn't realized is that it is very easy to frighten people who you can have them boiled alive the moment you give the word. And the, the grimaces didn't look at all alarming in Arkenland. Indeed, Lucy only thought Rabidash was going to be sick. Demon, 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 shrieked the prince. I know you, you are a foul fiend of Narnia. You are the enemy of the gods. Learn who I am, etc., etc. Uh, have a care, Rabidash, Aslan said quietly. The doom is nearer now. It is at the door. It has lifted the hatch. 
And then Rabidash says, let the skies fall, let the earth gape, let blood and fire obliterate the world. But be sure I will never detest, desist till I have dragged to my place by her hair, the barbarian queen, the daughter of the dogs. She's talking about Lucy and Susan. Uh, Susan, right? Because Susan was one supposed yeah, to be said. Yeah, yeah, just Susan. Yeah. Uh, the hour, And then Azan just says, the hour has struck. And Rabidash saw to his superior horror that everyone had begun to laugh. They couldn't help it. Rabidash had begun wagging his ears. And basically, Rabidash gets turned into a donkey. Um, <laughs> and it says, and as he basically, he's still like making fun of Aslan up until the very end. And he says, when he realizes what's happening to him, he says, oh no, not a donkey. Mercy. If it were even a horse. And then his language teeters off into the voice of a donkey. And um, you want to read that out for us? It says, <laughs> in the writing, it says, just, just a donkey. <laughs> Uh, please write that down. <laughs> but, uh, and so basically what happened, and he says, now hear me, Aslan, and justice shall be mixed with your mercy. You shall not always be an ass. And basically what happens is he says, like, because you wanted this, he can only, like, le- be within, like, a small, like, the temple of the Calamon gods. He can only, like, be within the vicinity of that. And if he tries to leave, he turns back into a donkey for the rest of his life. Uh, but again, it's that response, like, he was given so many chances to turn and this is like again a theme of C.S. Lewis's writing, like where hell really is a place of mercy of God, where he's like he said, you know, he says it in the great divorce at the end, there's only two possibilities. Either you say to God, Thy will be done, or God says to you, Thy will be done. Right. And God in the life of living de- like detached from God's mercy is the life that this person has chosen. Um and I think about like there's the people are just obstinate to him. And like there's nothing that's gonna be a theme in the future ones as well. But there's nothing Aslan can do. There's nothing God can do for, for, for there's nothing Aslan can do for Rabidash, just like there's nothing God can do for you if you have an obstinate heart to him. Yeah, I just to go off that, like God cannot make you love love him because love is freely given. That's I mean, to a T what what uh what's what's the guy's name? Rabidash. Rabidash. Like Rapidash, the Pokemon, but with a B. <laughs> that I mean, Aslan cannot make him repent and like love him. And this is that's what he gets. He gets what he wants, essentially. So that, and then the book ends basically. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Shasta is the true heir of Archenland. That's, oh, yeah, that's, right. that's where that all goes. Yeah, <laughs> they all live happily ever. So he has an unfortunate life, and Aslan is preparing him for greatness. Yeah, and he ends up being a really good king. Yeah. So that is the horse and his boy. Check back in for comes next. Yeah, Prince Prince Caspian. Yeah, Prince Caspian. That's a good one too. We'll talk about it.